Yeah, I love that song. I love the band is Switchfoot. Gosh, and they've been they've been kicking it since longer than I've been alive, I think. <laughs> I don't know. But they've been making incredible music for a long time. And man, when I was just thinking about that, I was like, why is it? Why is it that more often than not, what keeps me from being free is me? Like, why, like, like I'm, I'm not in the prison cell. I, I am the prison cell. Like, what chains me down is me. Why do I do what I hate? So welcome to week two of Ruach. And last week, I, asked, I just asked us, I asked us to think about what's the first thing, what is the first thing we should think of when we think of the words Holy Spirit? When we think of Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, what's the first thing that should come to our mind? And as we explored the scriptures, we discovered that the primary mission, the primary role of the Spirit in the Bible is to bring about life, transformation. It's God's, it's God's personal presence whose primary mission in the world is to mediate his life-giving love and energy to his creation. So today we're exploring another role of the Spirit, and that, that's the Spirit's role in messing with you. That's the Spirit's role in messing with you. It's, it's, it's role in transforming you and this process of change in our hearts and in our minds. Um, and so before we dive into Scripture, I just I want to pray. <laughs> I need it. Uh, Lord, I thank you this morning for this opportunity. God, I thank you for the grace and mercy that I have up here to share your word. And I thank you just for, for your son Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So God, I just pray that I communicate uh, your words to glorify you this morning. That's what this is about. It's in your name, amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles with you, um, or if you don't, if you have your phone, most of you have the Bible on your phone. If you don't, download it. It's free. It's the version app, all right? I'm, we'll continue to say that. Just do it, all right? Get it. I invite you to open to Galatians 5, verse 22, 23. Um, and some of you, the second I said Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, you had the song in your head, like you... You started singing it. If you didn't, that's okay. I didn't. I didn't grow up singing this song. But um, Galatians 5, uh, verse 22, we're going to start there. So um, this is the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, all right? So here we go. I know it's on the screen behind me. All right, I'm actually just going to read it from my computer. So, but the, first, or, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit. And here it's the word pneuma, uh, which we learned last week has the same nuances and meanings as ruach in the, in the Bible. God's breath, God's spirit. Um, and so, all right. There you have it. All right. Now, go, go do this. Go be this. And need I say any more? We can, we can end it here, right? Why isn't it just that simple? Why can't I just be like, all right, here it is. Go, go, go do this. Go be it. Because it's, because it's not. It's not. That, that's my answer. It's not. It's just not. It can't be. It can't be that simple. Because we're complex and complicated beings with history and baggage and there are these issues that I've got in my life that just aren't going to disappear. 
right? It's not like I just say this prayer one night and then all my, th- all, all my issues, all my problems, they just go away. I wish they did. That'd be really nice. Um, but the reality is that we live, we all have these patterns. We all have these patterns of thinking, these, these character flaws, right? The ways we process or treat others or deal with circumstances uh, that just keep coming back into our lives. And it's like they just don't seem to go away. And anyone who's ever tried to change their lifestyle knows that it can be a, a slow and complicated process. Even if you've been a Christian for years, like I still have these moments where I'm just like, whoa, why am I still dealing with that? Like I've got the spirit in my life. I've got the spirit in my life. Like why is, why is that still there? Why don't I have more of that? Like this, this Christianity thing, like it's not working, I'm not changing, what's going on? Like, like why do I do what I hate? Why can't Jesus just come bonk me on the head and make me new and change me? I think part of what happens is the oversimplification of scriptures. And so we turn this, this verse into a song, which I think is really good because it can help us bury it in our hearts. It can help us remember it. Um, but, but then sometimes what we forget to do is we forget to go back into the scriptures and, and really look at what it says in, in context. And so when we do that, we realize that this passage is right in the middle of, of Paul wrestling with the question of why is it that character change and transformation is such a complicated and, and slow process in our lives? Why does it feel like this process is sometimes two steps forward and one step back? Or only one step forward and two steps back? Why is the old part of me still a part of me? And this is exactly what Paul is working out here in this portion of Galatians. And I think it's, actually, I think it's, this is one of Paul's most beautiful explanations of, of the Spirit's role in, its, in the process of changing us and transforming us in our lives because of the metaphor he uses here. Okay? And first, whenever you see a metaphor in the scriptures, like you, sh- you should just stop and take a second and think, think, okay, what is going on here? Because these metaphors are often a way for us to, to really see a whole new perspective and have a better understanding of what's going on, what the Spirit's role is here. So I actually, this is, this is really cool. This is really cool what Paul's doing here. So what metaphor, what metaphor is Paul using here? Fruit. Thank you. You guys are learning. That's so good. Fruit. Yes. Fruit. And I do want to point out here that this is, this is fruit, it's fruit, it's not fruits, it's fruit, singular, okay? Because here, you, think about it, you can't really, you can't have love without patience. It, it, it just doesn't really work, kindness without gentleness. Like th- these things, it's one fruit, it's one fruit, it's one thing that grows in your life from nine different aspects. So why would Paul... Why would Paul use why would Paul use the metaphor fruit? Why would Paul use the metaphor fruit to describe what grows in our life when God's spirit his presence enters into our life? Is anyone here a gardener? Anyone here garden, tend to garden, keep a garden? Flower, hey, that that counts. That works. Okay? So there's some all right, we got one one I, I actually thought I'd have more. But actually, you know what? I, I I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because I am not a gardener because it is hard. It, I can barely keep a succulent alive, okay? Like, in those things, from what I understand or what I've been told, those they are hard to kill. All right, I will say, I don't have a black thumb necessarily because I have kept a snake plant alive 
for almost three years. And I just think those things are nearly impossible to kill. That's actually why I got it. So anyway, um, unlike a snake plant, fruit and vegetables, fruit and vegetables, they're, it's a whole other story. There's a lot of work that goes into keeping and tending a garden, right? Unlike my snake plant that I just water it like once a month, I think, and I think it's living. But unlike that, like it takes work. It takes a lot of work in that moment. Okay, because not only do you have to have like good soil, right? You've also got to know what seeds to plant, where to plant them, sometimes how to plant them because that sometimes matters with seeds. You have to know like how much to water it, how much, where is a good spot for it to get the sun to, to generate the energy, right? And like you have to understand what's a weed and what's not a weed so you're not accidentally ripping out your tomato plants or radishes. And then... And then you've got garden-eating, garden-destroying predators that want to be in your garden to destroy it so that there's no lunch for you. <clears throat> right? Let's say I had a garden, because I, I do want a garden, and I, want to, I would love to go radishes sometime. All right? Um, and let's say I grew some radishes. After all of that hard work, after all of that hard work that I put in, can I sit down at lunch with my radish sandwich? Don't knock it till you try it. All right? made from the radishes from my garden, okay, and can I say, can I say I grew, I grew these radishes? Can I say that? No, I can't say that. I can't really say that because, because what grew the radishes? What grew the radishes? What grew the plants in your garden? The sun grew the radishes. The sun grew, I, I did not, I did not grow the radishes um, in fact, what, what did I do? I was a gardener, and I, uh, this is all hypothetically, okay. I was a gardener, I planted the radishes, I watered them, I, I made sure that I, that I provided a space, an environment that was helpful for these vegetables and fruit to grow. Okay, I didn't grow those radishes, okay, because what happens is that you see there's this, what did grow the radishes? There's, well, there's this big ball of gas in the sky, right, called the sun that emits and radiates energy and heat to the ground below us, and then through this process of photosynthesis synthesis that you all learned about and then forgot about, like, plants grow, right? It's this, this, this cool thing, okay? And I have no control over any of those things. I have no control of that process. That process is way out of my control. How the sun and its energy is sent and used by these plants and forces, by these plants are forces that are way outside of my control, but that's what grows these radishes, that's what grows the radishes. It's not me that grows my radishes, okay? And, but but here's, the, here's, here's what I can do. I can help or hinder the growth of my radishes, correct? Yeah, if I don't, if I don't plant them or water them or anything like that, like I'm probably not going to have a lot of radishes. So you have to realize how intentional Paul was when he, when he used the metaphor of fruit, when he used this metaphor. He was being very intentional because... It's a, again, it's, it's this metaphor of what the, spirit, what, the, what the Spirit grows in our life. Because when the Spirit is at work in my life, it is absolutely this outside force. And we, I can't control it. And we learned last week that it, it's, this, it's God's personal life-giving presence that, that is generating and sustaining life all around us. All around us. And when I, when I say, Jesus, you're, you're mine, I believe in you, I take you. Like, what I believe what you did on the cross was for me. 
and I place my faith and trust in you, like, like when, I, when this thing happens and in, in, that happens in me, then the work that the Spirit does, it's like I open myself to the Spirit all around me, to the Spirit just hovering, right? And I open myself up to this, this person. Now it's a person in my life that can bring about transformation and change. And so this reality of character change and life transformation, I am not in control of, but at the same time, I have control of how much the Spirit gets of my life. And that's what Paul is getting at in this passage here in the Scriptures in in Galatians 5. And so I actually want to backtrack here a bit, and I want to take us back to verse 16 in Galatians 5. And so verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I know we're kind of diving right here into the middle of this chapter of Galatians, but, but this, this letter takes 20 minutes to read, and we, just, we have to start somewhere, okay? So Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And again, he uses another metaphor, and it's this metaphor of that life is a journey, and every day, every day, every decision, every choice that you make is like steps on this journey. And because he's addressing Christians here, and, and we're all walking He says, walk by the Spirit. Is your life, the choices and decisions that you make every day, are they empowered by God's personal life-giving presence? Because the Spirit is all around you, generating and sustaining the life as we know it. And Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Assuming that the Spirit is in your life, okay, And one of the clearest and just simplest passages that explains this idea of the spirit in your life is in another letter um, of Paul's that he wrote to uh, the Ephesians. And this is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It goes like, it says this, Paul wrote this. And you all were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel or good news of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him. With a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In that moment, you in that moment when you realized, when you were like, "Holy cow, holy cow, the good news of my salvation!" Like I'm, I'm really messed up, and I have a lot of issues. And what Jesus, what Jesus did for me, I need that. I need that. And when you believed, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, Paul is saying that something really significant happens to you here. He's saying the very presence of Jesus takes up residence in your life, and it's almost as if you just, you, like I said, you woke up to the Spirit hovering around you, and you opened yourself up to the presence of another person into your life. It's, it's, it's like you have now this new reality, a new way to live in your life with the Spirit when the Spirit enters your life. And what happens in that moment is Paul says you're marked, you're stamped, with a seal. And back then, seals weren't just this like fancy way to close a letter, right? These seals, they meant something. They actually, they carried and communicated uh, the letter, and it, it communicated who the letter was from. It would communicate who the letter was from, and it would also bear the family crest with these seals, with these stamps, they would bear the family crest or initials, initials of the sender. And what Paul is saying here is that when you place your faith in Jesus, you open yourself up to his spirit in your life to guide you, to change you, to direct you. And when you do that, he says it's like you're marked, stamped with a seal. This one belongs to Jesus. 
And now that you're marked and you've opened yourself up to the life-giving, transformational power of the Spirit, right? What you have control over is how much influence the Spirit has in your life, how much influence the Spirit gets to control of your life, because we do have control of that. We do have control over how much influence the Spirit has, how much the Spirit is going to be able to transform in us. And so Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit because you can choose not to. You can choose not to. In fact, there are Christians who have, been, who have been marked and who have not walked by the Spirit for a very long time. To continue the metaphor of fruit, it's like they, they, they threw the seed and, and then they just expected the sun and photosynthesis just to do its work and not have to do anything else. If you want fruit, you have got to be a gardener. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul recognizes that the environment we're trying to walk in, garden in, is not neutral, okay? Some of your translations here for flesh of sinful nature, which is, I think it's a better translation here, because what Paul is not talking about here is our physical bodies and the physical world around us. He's not talking about that. No, because we know, we know from creation, right? Genesis, Genesis 1.26, what does God say about us? We're good. And as a matter of fact, he says, very good. What Paul's referring to here is he, he, it's, it's our fallen sinful nature and its desires. Because there was a fall that also took place in Genesis, and that's, that's what Paul's getting at here. Our desire to elevate our wants, our needs, our desires, what we think is best over God's, over God's. So, continuing in verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you do not do whatever you want, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Our flesh and God's spirit are in conflict. Why do I do what I hate? It's as if when you become marked, all right, and you open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, you entered into a war zone. A war zone that you had no idea, no clue existed. And now, and now you, you've got flesh on the one side and the spirit on the other. One leads to death, decay, and destruction, and the other leads to life, restoration, redemption. And here we are right in the middle of it, smack dab in the middle of it. And we have a choice to make. Every day we have a choice to make. What sort of nature do we want to live by now that we have this power in our life, now that we have the Spirit, this person pulling us towards the direction of life, towards love, towards joy, peace, kindness, all of the fruit? It's this conflict. And Paul knows this isn't, this isn't just as simple as go do this. He knows it's actually really hard work, which is exactly why he uses the metaphor of fruit and being a, and, and gardening and growing, because tending a garden is hard work, and there are things that will, that will try to get into your life if you let them and destroy your garden. The acts of the flesh is what Paul, is, is what Paul calls them, and he breaks them into three categories, sex, spirituality, and relationships. 
So he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Like, no one taught you to be selfish. You just kind of grew up that <laughs> Been around a toddler. Okay, you know. All right, no one taught you. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and de- debauchery. I always want to say debauchery. debauchery. Did anyone use that word this week? <laughs> I don't think so. Me neither. Unless you count today, then I guess I did. So debauchery, what it means is, is it's essentially a complete lack of control when it comes to your sexual desires. That's debauchery. And so we've got sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And sexual immorality is this broad term used by several people in the New Testament. Jesus, James, Peter, Paul, right? And they use this term to refer to, refer to any act of sex not within the protective boundaries of a lifetime marriage covenant between a man and a woman. That, this, that is the term that they use to refer to it's sexual immorality. And what Paul is saying here is that your, your sex life, your sexuality, that is, that is numero, that's the first place you can look to identify if your life is being led by and transformed by the presence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. One of the first places you can look is your, is your sex life. Is your life being led by that? And, so, and some people... Some people really get hung up on this, especially in, in our American culture. Some people really get hung up on this idea, okay? And, and it's because our culture would have us believe that, that sex is just this physical appetite, right? There's nothing really emotional about it. It's just this recreational activity between two consenting adults, and that's roughly the portrait of sex that we have in our culture. And you guys are like, man, I didn't know I was supposed to talk about sex this morning. Well... Paul talks about it. Blame Paul. It's his fault. Okay. And what's interesting here is that the biblical view of sex in our culture is, is that it's, it's not only something laughable. It's not only something laughable. It's, not a, la- it's, it's a laughable, ludicrous idea. And, and it's, even, it's even viewed in our culture as, some, as oppressive sometimes. And so it's like this Christian view of sex has become this ridiculous, boring, like archaic, same person for the rest of your life, dirty, like turn the lights off kind of thing. That's the, it's, it's the Christian's prudish, low view of sex. And what I would really encourage you guys to think about here is to think really long and thoroughly through this is that I, I would argue that it is the exact opposite, that the Christian view of sex is the exact opposite, that our culture has cheapened sex down into something that, that's essentially worth, worthless. And that the Christian view of sex is actually the highest view of sex. That sex is so profound, it's such a whole person, spiritual, emotional, physical experience, it's so powerful and so volatile that it's protected by the boundaries of marriage. And it's so powerful and so beautiful that it even has the power to generate life. It is is an amazing an amazing thing that needs to be protected. And, and, and I would stand to argue that the Christian view of, se- of sex is actually the highest possible view of sex we could have. And that's what Paul says right here. Is this is the first place a person can look if the Spirit is, is in your life, is in, is in your sexual choices. Because very few of us in this room, very few of us in this room have no regrets, have zero regrets about the sexual choices that we've made. Those are things that, for some reason, they stick with you. And whether it was your own poor choices or it was the horrible, sinful choice of another person on your life, like these things, we don't just forget about them. Sex matters. Our bodies matter. And that's why Paul starts with this. 
Because the Spirit is in the business of bringing transformation and life to our spirituality and our, and our bodies, to our spiritual being and our physical bodies. And the second category that Paul goes into is spirituality, idolatry and witchcraft. So basically, the, these ideas are about how we relate to the spiritual realm. Okay, one is giving our allegiance to, a high, to, to something other than the one true God, and the other is, the other is about um, taking advantage of or taking control over the spiritual realm. Okay, and it, it's just these, these ideas, Paul, Paul talks about them because, again, it's, it's opposite of the Christian way of life. We are to live in, in humble servitude and worship and in a loving relationship with our Creator, with God. And then we have a third category of relationships, how we interact with one another. And Paul really goes off here, right? Because he, he lists eight. He lists eight down. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Okay, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Every one of these is about relational breakdown or personal character flaws that lead to relational breakdown. And it's these three categories here. Of the three categories here, which one do you think Paul cares about the most? He lists eight. Okay, and he's, it's because he's writing to a letter, he's writing this letter to a group of churches um, in the surrounding area of Galatia that are dividing bitterly over just these contentious, like religious, uh, cultural things. And so he, he writes about this, and, and he writes about these issues to them. And I don't think that these issues are specifically for the church in Galatia, because how many of you see these issues <laughs> maybe in the church today? This isn't just the church of the past. This is the church now. And in fact, it's more than just issues with the church. These are, these are issues with humans. Humans. You see, what Paul is getting at here is for us to consider the health of our relationships. In fact, the health of our personal, personal relationships is a direct reflection. The health of our personal relationships is a direct reflection of whether or not your life is a rich environment for the Holy Spirit to grow fruit. Your relationships are a personal reflection of that. Your personal relationships are a reflection of that. And so he says, he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, he's just reminding us we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. And I'm running out of time and I wish I wasn't. Will we walk by the Spirit? He continues in Galatians this takes us right up to the fruit of the Spirit. Will you walk by the Spirit? Will you allow the Spirit to transform you, to let love come into you? Not, not emotional love, like love as an action. That's what love is in the Bible. It's, it's action. Peace and joy, despite whatever you're going through in your life, will you let your hope in Jesus be your joy, bring you peace that transcends everything? I don't know, he, he, ends, he ends this verse, he ends Galatians by telling us, by reminding us, listen, if you have, you belong to Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, you've crucified the flesh, put to death, you've put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. 
This is a serious thing. The role of the Spirit in our lives and our ability to, and what we give over to the Spirit. It's a serious thing. Paul tells us to crucify our flesh. To put to death, friends. And band, you guys can, can come up on stage here. I don't, know, I don't know what this means for you this morning. I don't, but I, I would encourage you. I would encourage you just to, to think about that for a second. What would it look like for you to put to death those things in your life that are chaining you down? Why do you do what you do? Put it to death. Gentlemen, if porn, well, it's, this, is, this is for ladies too. If porn is an issue for you in your life, Put it to death. Get a flip phone, man. This isn't, you don't mess around with this. He says, crucify it. What does this look like for you this morning? And can I remind you that you're not alone? Actually, that's how he ends that part in Galatians. To walk by the Spirit again. So we live by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit because you're not alone. And I'm convinced we need the Spirit in our lives, right? Why do we do what we do? Why do I keep doing that? His, his love, His forgiveness, this freedom, it's for you. And it was paid for. It was bought. Bought with, with the blood of Jesus. So I, just, I would encourage you guys to think about that as we sing the song and as we reflect on these words and, and, and make, make this your prayer. Take a moment to reflect on this, friends. I love you guys. Band.